Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. <coughs> so let's move on. Uh, we're going to turn to the book of Colossians, chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. I want to talk to you about this today. Uh, now, we know that Paul wrote the book of Colossians. He probably never visited Colossians or Colossae. Colossae and Laodicea are in a similar valley, uh, close by to each other, maybe 20 kilometres apart. Laodicea was a bigger city than Colossae was. It's about 200 miles, or uh, sorry, 200 kilometres or no, 200 miles from Ephesus. We know that Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. So what we've got here is a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. It's said that he probably wrote this letter from prison. Now, to give you an idea, I was in Rome recently and I went to the actual prison where Paul was imprisoned. It's, it's not advertised, um, it's not well known, but it's an awful place. So I'd, someone else had told me about it and I went to this, this prison. When I say prison, it's really a four-storey building. Uh, which is sort of like a, another museum of some sort or another, but you can only go in and you go into the basement because the prison is below this building. And it's basically a cave. What it is, you go into the, the first level below ground and there is just, it, it, it's a rock. And there's a hole in the ground. There's a, you know, a circle with a grid And they basically said, this is the prison where Paul lived. And now they've carved into the rock stairs so that you can go down into the actual prison. But basically, it's a hole in the ground, in the rock. And uh, and the way they would lower the prisoners up and down was, you know, with rope. They would drop them in and then they would climb back out on the rope from this hole in the ground. It's a cave. What you don't know is that it's also a spring. And so in that cave, there was a spring and what they would, every now and again, for whatever reason, the water would bubble up within the cave and drown those in there unless they were let out of the cave because the only way the water could escape the cave was through the, the hole. And so, and, and, and you know, it's probably three metres from the floor to the ceiling of the cave. And this was where Paul lived for some two years. And somehow he survived the regular filling up with the spring. Obviously what would happen is the prisoners would rise with the water and try and survive uh, until the, the spring subsided. But Paul spent you know, a couple of years writing letters in that prison in Rome. One of the letters it said that he wrote is this letter to the Colossians and he's writing to explain some things to them, but to address some problems. And like it or not, some 2,000 years later, we get the same problems as the people in Colossians had. But let me read to you from chapter 2 and um, verse 1. It says, "I I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. Laodicea, as I said, is just up the road. That's why he was saying Laodicea. It's just up the road. It's a larger city. And for all who have not met me personally, 
My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity live in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now what I want to do this morning is just take some points from these passages of Scripture and I want you to ask yourself the question about how it applies to you. And the, it comes, the first one is in the first verse. And it, Paul says this, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Contending is an interesting word. It's, it's, it speaks to us of a battle. It speaks to us of a fight. And what Paul is relaying here is that he is in contention for the people that he's not met. He's in contention for the church. He's fighting for them. And my question to you is, are you in a fight for those around about you? Forget the ones that you don't know. Are you in a fight for those that you do know? Because we are in a spiritual battle, if I can put it that way. How did Paul contend? He's in a prison. He's in a hole in the ground. He couldn't go and speak to those who were opposing those that he was writing to. The only way that he could do it was in prayer. It's by asking God to do something for them. And so if I read this again, think about what he's saying. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. He's saying, I'm praying for you, I'm fighting for you, I'm standing for you. There's two things that I want to make a point of here. Number number one is this, obviously we need to pray. We need to pray for one another. And Paul reiterates the power of prayer and how important it is. But the other one, which I think is even more important because it precipitates prayer, is this. How much do you really think about the people around about you? And what do you think of them? It's a bigger question. You know, it's easy to criticize people. Do we believe the best of those that are around us? Or do we believe somehow that they're not deserving of our time, our effort, our thoughts and prayers? It's challenging to think about it, really. Paul was contending for people he'd not met. He was giving himself for people he'd not met. What about us? Do we apply ourselves in that way for those that we don't know? When we look at the people around us, do we believe for the best for them? Or are we more concerned with criticizing what they do, what they say, where they go, how they act, what they think? 
You see, just because we, we don't necessarily agree with everything they say or do doesn't mean we shouldn't contend for them, doesn't mean we shouldn't believe the best for them. And Paul here is stuck in a hole in the ground and he's explaining what he's still doing while stuck in a hole in the ground. I don't know about you, but if I was in a hole in the ground, I probably wouldn't be thinking about a bunch of people that I'd never met before. And yet Paul does it not only for the Colossians, but for those in Laodicea. He goes on, he says this, and we get towards his motive. He says, my goal. In other words, why is Paul doing what he's doing? My goal, he says, my, the target I have, the outcome I'm after. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. What he's saying is he wants people to feel internally well, encouraged and united. He's saying the thing I want for you is that you would feel like things are going well for you. Now we all go through difficult times, we we understand that, but there can be this innate well-being that emanates from within us. And it's usually the result of a few different things, some of which we'll get into in a few moments. But what are we wanting for those around about us? It's easy to say we want our children to do well, isn't it? It's a, it's a natural instinct. But what about others around about us? What do we want for them? Paul is saying, my goal is that they'd be encouraged in their hearts and that they would be united in love. Do you know, if I was writing a letter to you, that's what I want for you. I want you to be encouraged. You might say, well, why do, why do you want us to be? Well, the opposite of being encouraged is to be discouraged. You've got a choice. Do you want the people around you to be built up or do you want them to be pulled down? I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to be united in love. You, 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 united and uniformity are two different things. But we ought to be united in love. In other words, we are, we, we are one. We're going to stand with one another, whatever takes place. And, and Britt, you know, explained a little bit about that with one and Nathan. You know, that we were united as, um, as, as Monique in particular. I think, I'm not sure who went through the pregnancy worse, probably Monique or Nathan, probably Nathan, but... Um, <laughs> But, but you know, uh, without giving away personal details, we're contending for them. We're fighting for them. We, we're believing for a good outcome. Um, it, it, you, you know, as, as people go through challenging times, we want to stand with one another. We want to be united in love. Does it mean we agree with absolutely everything? No, it doesn't. But what it does mean is we believe the best for people anyway. Paul's writing, he's saying, this is my goal. This is what I want. And I think there's a great example for us in this um, to follow. And see, so that they, and he goes on, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Uh, I'll read further and they'll come back to that. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Going back to the first part, he says, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. How you feel has some value. 
what you know is what makes a difference. And what Paul is saying here to these people is what you know stays with you. In other words, you can get to a point where you are convinced by what you know, despite how you feel. Faith is, has got a whole lot to do with what you know, not what you feel. In other words, faith exhibited lets go of the feelings at the time that you're challenged and it puts its courage in what you know. Now, when we go through a, 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 diag- a you know, medical diagnosis, how we feel is subject to what we know. What I mean by that is, you may feel terrible, but if you're trusting a doctor who has given you uh, a, a process to go through, how you feel uh, can change... What am I saying here? What, what the doctor says about you overrides how you feel. In other words, hope comes from what you know, not from what you feel. And Paul is writing to these people and he's saying this. He's saying that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. In other words, what he's saying is I want you to understand what Christ has done. And and, and you know what Jess shared before in communion? She was sharing some truth about what Christ has done for us. The problem we have is too often we let our feelings override what we know. Our our identity is is wrapped up in our feelings rather than what we know. Our, our, Our experience can be wrapped up in our feelings rather than what we know. And it's not in what we feel that makes the difference. It's in what we know that makes the difference. Confidence, strength, perseverance, endurance are all the product of what we know, not how we feel. So Paul's saying this, my goal is that you may have the full riches of complete understanding so that you may know Christ in whom are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, if you just sum up life, those two things, you know, knowledge is the application, appropriate application of wisdom. Sorry, wisdom is the appropriate application of knowledge. In other words, it's no good knowing everything and not knowing how to apply it. Wisdom is knowing what you need to know and having the ability to apply it to a circumstance which will bring about a better outcome. And so Paul is writing to these people and remember again that he's stuck in a hole, he's stuck in a, in a cave, a, a moist cave because there's water sitting on the floor and he's writing to these people with such intensity and desire and, and, and sincerity. And he's saying, I want you to know Christ. I want you to know who he is and what he's done for you. I want you to, I want you to get the complete understanding of what he has done for you because he knows it's in that that the difference will be made. And he's saying Christ is the way you access wisdom, the way you build your knowledge. He goes on, verse um, 4, it says this. This is the key thing. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. In the last few years, um, probably more so in the United States than in Australia, but many people left the church. 
Some of it was connected to COVID. Some of it was connected to relation. There's a whole bunch of reasons why people left, especially in the West. And what happened, I would say, is fine-sounding arguments got in the way of what they knew or what they knew wasn't adequate to keep them through the challenge of a fine-sounding argument. Even us here today, do you know, our faith in Christ will persevere through some things. It's not until you get into a real tough test that you determine whether or not your faith is deep enough to carry you forward. And do you know, our learning, our understanding, our comprehension of what Christ has done is critical Not so that you remember it, but rather so that you're built, so that your foundation is strong. Because we live in a world where, if I can put it, fine-sounding arguments come against us all of the time. Now, I'm not saying we should resist the fine-sounding arguments. Sometimes there are things to be learned from fine-sounding arguments. But the goal is for our faith to grow strong and deep. Why? Because it's there that we find fullness. It's there that we find contentment. It's there that we find completeness. Paul is writing to this church who's having some problems because they had false teachers coming in teaching them something other than what they were originally taught. And Paul is saying, hey, listen... I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent with, from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in, uh, firm your faith in Christ is. And he says there's two things there. There's disciplined and firm in faith. And the two go together. You know, sometimes it's so nice to come into a place and sense God's presence, just to feel it emotionally. It's wonderful. But the hard work is done is is in learning, in understanding, in um, in, in, uh, contending or working out what it is that we understand. And there is no substitute from that. That's where you grow strong. There's, there's nothing like getting an experienced tradesman do a job for you, which you know is difficult. Because of years of experience, years of understanding, it doesn't matter how they feel on the day, you know you're going to get the best outcome. There's nothing worse than having a tradesman turn up to fix something. Is having an off day, doesn't really know his stuff. Presented with a difficult task, he doesn't know what to do and he just guesses his way through. And you pay the same amount usually anyway. And so my question to you is, are you you giving yourself, are you disciplining yourself to learn more about Christ and who he is and what he's done for you or are you just simply riding a wave hoping that it'll come into the place that you want it to come into? Paul goes on. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There's a few words there that are key. Number one is this, rooted. Now I know that's not a good word for us to be using. Uh, Friends of ours in Ireland, they're 
youth group is called Rooted Youth. And I'm thinking, that's probably not a good name for us to use in Australia. Uh, met some guys a few years back and... Um, well, actually, it's a large church in California and their discipleship class is called Rooted. And I'm thinking, again, that's probably not where we would want to go. But the point is this. A tree survives based on its roots, doesn't it? I mean, I know there's some rare examples, but it's, it's the root system of a tree that enables it to continue. And if the roots are somehow or effect, somehow are affected, then the the tree's ability to bounce back are severely affected. Its ability to bounce back is severely affected as well. And so, when we talk about roots, we talk about sustenance. We talk about strength. Talk about stability, you know, a large tree with a good root structure usually stands in the midst of a storm. One that's roots, for whatever reason, are on the surface, it blows over. And gum trees are prone to blowing over in, in large storms because their root system is often on the surface, depending on the soil type. But Paul is writing here and he's saying, you, uh, just as you receive Christ, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built in him. In other words, you need to get your sustenance from him. Understand that your day-to-day living is a result of what Christ has done for you. And, and, and unless you're prepared to do that, then it's very possible when a fine-sounding argument comes along that you'll be blown over. He goes on, he says, Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness is an attitude. It's not just a word. Saying thank you is polite. Living thankful is, is a way of describing someone's character. And we ought to be those who are thankful, not because everything's gone right, but because it's a position that we hold. It makes a difference on how we view our lives. It makes a difference on how others view our life. We need to be grateful for what God has done. He goes on, see to it, it's more or less a repeat, see to it, no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. If your faith hasn't been tested by current conversations, then it will be sooner or later. Ignoring the conversations is not an adequate way to handle it. It's like putting your head in the sand. What we've got to do is know what we believe. If we don't know what we believe, a an argument, uh, a, a philosophy is able to take us out. And, and while some of this is, is based on a, a particular interpretation an individual might have, we've got to understand we're also in a spiritual battle. And in this spiritual battle, there's a significant strategy being used to undermine faith, to undermine confidence, to steal, kill and destroy. And so I want to encourage you, as a matter of fact, I want to challenge you to find books to read that will 
build your faith. And when I say build your faith, I'm not talking about building your confidence. I'm talking about to build your, your, your foundations so that you become more deeply rooted in understanding what, on who Christ is and what he's done for you. Testimonies are wonderful, but they don't often teach, they're, they're, they're great stories. They don't teach you some of the fundamentals you need to stand up in an argument. Paul goes on, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ, if the musos would like to come, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. I want to finish this morning by saying this. Your experience in life depends on how full you are. There's another connotation there. We won't go on. How full are you? Paul is saying, speaking using this word fullness. The world will beat and buffet will push and prod. But it can only, those things can only be effective where there's a vacuum, where there's a doubt. You know, once something is full, it's full. Nothing else can go into it. And if your key components, your Understanding of who you are and who God is, if they are completed, if, they are, if your understanding is, is mature, then the ability to stand in a storm increases exponentially. Paul writing from this prison is saying, I'm fighting for you. I want you to be full. I want you to know who Christ is. I want you to understand the, the treasures that he has of knowledge and wisdom. I want you to be able to experience unity in love. I want you to be able to stand in the midst of the storm. The reason people question their faith is usually because there's been a vacuum of some sort or another. That's not a criticism. There's nothing wrong with there being a vacuum as long as the vacuum is not filled by something that doesn't do the job. What we need to fill our vacuums with is understanding about Christ. Where there's a gap, where there's a hole, where there's a, where there's a doubt. Allow your lives to be reinforced with understanding that will bring about fullness. Do you know where there's fullness there's fruitfulness. Some of you want to become more fruitful. The answer is in fullness. The intention, the plan, the purpose. If you read the, the rest of the book of Colossians, the key story is this, Christ in you. When Christ is in you and works out through you, it's an opportunity for you to experience life as Jesus intended it to be and for others to experience the benefit of Christ in you through your actions toward them.
There's going to be questions, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be philosophies, there's going to be all sorts of interpretations that are difficult to understand at times. The ultimate goal is for you to remain in relationship with Him, to be filled, and as a result of that filling, to experience a life of gratefulness or thankfulness that not only honours God, but makes your life enjoyable as well. Father, I I pray today that, Father, as we go through life, experience the challenges of life, that at the base of it all, that our foundation or our root structure might be drawing sustenance from you and who you are. We know it's also said that in Christ everything lives and moves and has its being. Father, I pray today that you would move by your Holy Spirit upon each of us, that you would create an insatiable desire for learning, for understanding, that will enrich our lives, but in so doing it also enrich the lives of others. This morning, Father, we've learned something of the maturity that Paul had such that in a circumstance where he was in prison and seemingly had so many other things to be concerned about, yet still his heart was for those he was reaching out to. He was contending for them, praying for them, caring for them, wanting to protect them. Father, may we grow in maturity so that we would do the same for others around about us. And in so doing, express your love in a way that honours you, blesses others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.